0: Oh, kia ora kouto. Welcome to HR Chats with me, Terada, a series of chats about the many and varied facets of the world of HR. For those of you who have watched or listened to this over the last few weeks, you will know that we always say if there is anyone or anything you want us to talk to or about, feel free to get in touch with HRNZ and we will see what we can do to accommodate that today. This is a good one, I'm looking forward, I look forward to all of them, but I'm particularly looking forward to this one, supporting the multi-generational workforce. We're talking to Michelle Donnelly, she's people and performance advisor at BDO in Wellington. Now the bulk of their workforce are Gen X or millennials. They've got a few baby boomers uh, and some Gen Z in the mix. We'll just, most of, we might categorize you immediately, uh, Michelle, uh, you're sitting down there, you're a cusper. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, kia ora. Thank you for having me here today. Um, A cusper, yes. So I guess how I would describe that is I'm on the edges of a generation. Um, So when you read about the um, sort of how generations are are defined or structured, um, they are generally designed around or defined around the the people who kind of have their formative years at the midpoint of that generation. Um, Whereas I was born in 83, so I'm kind of an old millennial or a very, sorry, um, a very young Gen Xer, depending on what way you want to look at it. Um, so I I'd probably identify more as Gen X and millennial, but um, technically, if you went by my birth date, I would be a millennial.
0: Do you identify, as that like, is it something that you actively think about? Or is this, a, is this a, is all of this labeling? Is it just a sort of a handy construct? Oh, it's definitely a handy construct,
1: 100%. There's no doubt about it. Um, And I think that if you're having a a conversation with people around um, the generation and what generation they belong to, it's very much um, a handy construct. And that's where I would say, oh, well, I'm Gen X because the, I guess, stereotypes that have been put out there in the world, they're the ones that I identify with more. But there is no doubt that it is just a handy construct.
0: If you could sum them up. Super briefly, yeah, to give us a sense of of why. Like most people probably know, but for those who 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 might not, or just want to refresh a course, what is the <laughs> sort of the basic construct uh, reasons for each one of these generations? And so, what have we got? We've got, you know, traditionalists, boomers, mil- Gen X, Gen, Z, Gen X.
1: Yeah, then you've got millennials or Gen Y, and then you've got um Gen Z coming through as well. Yeah. Right, so and. We- Yeah, so really, um, it's around kind of the shift in society and the changes that society have seen and how um, different generations experience, I guess, life as they grow up and their worldview and what are the big societal things that impact them so boomers and um, we had traditionalists which were kind of pre-war and um, and then obviously uh world war ii happened world war one world war ii and um, made a massive change in how we are as a society how we and um, how we function in our everyday lives and um, so that then became the baby boomer generation so they were post-war there was um a lot more freedom that they were able to have, a lot more resources available to them, Um, and then we moved to the generation app which was X, so that was much more about trying to find kind of that work-life balance a little bit more and wanting to kind of make the most of the world around them for themselves that's how it's traditionally seen Um, and then moving into Millennials and Gen Z who are this kind of um, digital I guess generations who have had so much more access to information access to technology and have experienced so much more rapid change than the previous generations so that's kind of a very high level overview of, of how the different
0: generations transition yeah because i've i think i've heard of, of Z also at some stage they were called sort of i think gen z or something or digital natives they've, they've never yeah. known a world without the kind of this this digital platform uh, as we, we we won't really touch on this but are we so Gen Z is sort of around ninety six ish so now we've got a younger workforce almost coming through. If you think there are some kids born in say two thousand and five yeah. they're getting up to be fifteen are they are they going to be a separate one for Gen Z when, when will the next sort of post Z generation come through yeah
1: if you, um, I mean if you if you look at the the kind of the research and, and the structures behind this, our next generation is already around they're just sort of at that age of like four or five and they'll be generation alpha. Um, and at this stage, kind of the studies that are being yes, the, done. Are, are, to be
0: honest, um, Michelle, there is nothing even remotely ominous. <laughs> <laughs> about Generation Alpha. <laughs> no, not at all, right? Like just. <laughs> I've become quite yeah. aware aware of uh, all the least party sides. You know, ever since I, I totally you know didn't pay any attention to the fact the sky turned orange at New yes. Year's this year. I just went that's that's nothing. So now <laughs> it's something like I'm hyperventilatic at the thought of Generation Alpha. So so yeah. what will they be like? Do you think looking ahead? Well,
1: yeah, it's an open book, really, because they are going to be, um, the digital native thing is going, to, is going to apply to them as well. You know, they're going to have access to all of these these tools and communi- forms of communication. Um, but we don't yet know what will be available to them because it hasn't been invented yet. Like the technology that they will have access to and that they will use during their sort of teens and 20s um, probably hasn't been invented yet because things are changing so rapidly. So it's a massive unknown.
0: Is, now, here's, here's something there. Why, so, why is there so much friction around this? Why, you know, we saw recently the, the classic one who went viral around the world, Chloe Swarbrick, um, you know, said OK Boomer as a sort of an offhand, you know, shutdown of, of someone in Parliament and, and the world sort of exploded at that. What, what's caused all of this, do you think? Um, that's such
1: a great question and one I could talk at length about. So, <laughs> I personally think, like my view, if you, if you look at the research and you read back through um, the history books, there has always been this concept of the, you know, the, the previous generation thinks that the next generation aren't doing enough or don't understand enough about life or are too green. Um, right back to like ancient Greek times. And I think there's a quote from Socrates that basically says the younger generation are useless and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, and if you look at, um, you know, when baby boomers were younger, they were being accused of being hippies and anti-establishment by the traditionalists. And um, when Gen X were coming through, they were being accused of being slackers um, and not doing enough for, you know, for their community and not working hard enough. We've now got millennials and Gen Z are facing similar criticisms. So for me, the only difference is that our um, our access to this information and our um, access and discussion around this information is on a much bigger level now because of social media digital media we're able to have this conversation with a wider audience and people and you know as humans we do buy into stereotypes it's part of how we classify people so it's so much easier for us to just put people in a box and say oh that's what you are this is what I should expect from you so unfortunately those two things combined I think have created a much more widespread negative stereotyping between the different generations.
0: Great. Right. So we've got all of that sorted out. Uh, you know, <laughs> these large societal things that go back to the beginning of time, you know, how is this playing out in a workforce? Like you, you've you got a, a, you know, a younger-ish workforce, yeah. but you've also got some older people and you've probably looked at, you know, the rest of it. What what are the problems that are coming up?
1: For me I think in my experience the problems only arise when people buy into those stereotypes so if you go in with a, a preconceived notion that because of someone's age and um, that their experiences will dictate that they're going to be more focused on money or more focused on themselves or you know if you buy into that, that those negative aspects and ignore the positives that are there and um, I think that's when you see challenges because I guess as I said people want to naturally we want to put people in a box. We want to kind of have a way to define them. Um, And if we focus on the negative traits that we've read about particular generations, then we're obviously going to define people in a negative light. And I think the real challenge is to step away from that and embrace the positives and really focus on the positives that are there.
0: Because really, you know, this generational stereotype doesn't really pay much attention to cultural upbringing, the region of, you know, uh, provincial versus urban, all of those things. We sort of just put everyone into this box, you know, and particularly even when it comes to the likes of technology, uh, you know, the, you know, boomers, you know, they're on Facebook with bad memes and that's all they've really done. It's like, sorry, they kind of invented yeah. computers, you know, I mean, Turing and, and the various others, but they were the generation that really drove a lot of this through. Um, and, and likewise, we all have, you know, um, even I know plenty of young people um, who uh, are techni- technologically relatively illiterate, just not interested in it to a yeah. certain extent. So, so you know, all of these things play into, into a part of it as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think... Um, I know you had was that Amy Clark was on previously talking about um, diversity and inclusion and she talked a little bit about intersectionality and I think that's such an important thing to remember when it comes to these, um, you know, generational stereotypes as well, like you could take um, two boomers, for example, from different countries and different backgrounds, different levels of education and different ethnicities, their life experiences and, you know, who they are and what they stand for are going to be entirely different. So um, the idea that if you are from a particular generation means that your worldview is a particular way is is just so wrong. and, And that it's that stereotyping that we really have to get away from.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about it. You know, I did a lot of work in the provinces, and the difference between you know that rural, urban Ooh. thing. You know, f- you know everyone is uh, utterly competent at what they do, but just the sort of the difference, not only in their kind of worldview, but in their relationship with technology, with media, with consumption. Uh, and so, when we look at the challenges here, there there are uh, intergener- intergenerationally as well. They're the same challenges that occur everywhere else, aren't there? These cultures of sort of there's a there's a cultural challenge in that. The, we tend to think that, I suppose, the younger generation is a little more liberal. Mm-hmm.
1: That's definitely um, like a view that's out there, and I think, um, I think again, it comes down to the individual. Like, if you have, yeah. if you have been raised a particular way, given access to a particular amount of information, your views um, and how you see the world will have formed in a very different way um, to someone who has had a different background and upbringing, regardless of their age or generation.
0: Yeah. Um, communication is another one we communicate differently uh, you probably saw the article that went around uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, that said people find a full stop uh, in a text message um, confrontational yeah. you know because yeah, uh, young people don't use full stops they find it a little bit aggressive you yeah. know it's easy for us to laugh at that and think that's crazy but that's you know even little things like that are important don't they
1: they really are. And I think as employers um, and HR professionals, that's where we have, um, you know, we have an obligation to kind of support people coming into our workforce to understand what the accepted. And forms of communication and styles of communication are w- within the professional setting so for example coming from a professional services firm and um, we obviously when we have client communication whether that's via email or letters or on the phone you know there's a certain level of professionalism that has to be there and it's more on the professional side than the casual side but when we bring in our um, our graduate cohort every year one of the things that we do is train them on that so we we just have to be aware that how they communicate um, in their personal life is probably quite different from how we communicate in in the workplace. And we support their learning and development so that they can understand that and know what's expected of them. Likewise, if we have someone coming in um, who has a lot more experience in the workplace and maybe from an older generation, their style of communication tends to be a little bit more formal anyway, but we would still give them the clear expectations and whatever support they needed um, to bring them up to speed with how we do things here. And, and I think that's the key. It's just acknowledging that if if you want, if you want someone, regardless of their age, generation, um, to act in a particular way, or you have certain behaviours that are expected in your workplace, you just give them the support to develop that.
0: Yeah. How about, well, we're talking about this kind of sense of of communication and and, and this kind of digital thing that is there a difference in the kind of personal versus company life in a way, you you know, is there an expectation that uh, um, they are, you know, perhaps um, Zed in particular, uh, put a lot more of themselves up on social media that they then just sort of expect that to be not paid attention to or do you know what i mean that, that that sort of that blurring of the lines where we might have gone to a party um when i was at university and we took a photo of something uh you know uh occurring uh, that photo wouldn't really be seen by pretty much anybody mm-hmm. um but nowadays a lot of that stuff is up online you know there's there's a change there as well aren't we Isn't yeah, there they're
1: absolutely i, I didn't I phrase am-
0: that very well but i think you know what i mean
1: yeah i do i think so but if i am answer- there's something completely different, then you can
0: correct me. <laughs> oh, I'll, what I'll do, Michelle is I'll just edit this and put in a um, an entirely better question. No, oh, it's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> we're, um, see, that's a digi- again. That's a digital world that we're working in, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That we have that ability to to to, to sort of chop and edit things before it goes out into yeah. the public sphere. Um, yeah. And I actually Look, I'm, think- I'm think- No, no. Go but-
0: no, I was thinking specifically, I was thinking, I'm looking at, say, American politics or, or politics in general. That's a very good one, where there will be, you know, things that might have destroyed a career a few years ago up online. People of a, of a younger generation are now a little bit more willing to allow those things to sort of just pass by.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think um, the those sort of younger generations coming through, and particularly, you know, if, Gen Z and being digital native so their whole lives have been with you know with social media and um, so they've never experienced you know we were talking about you know at university and if someone takes a photo it's, it's on a camera it's not really going anywhere and um, but they've never experienced that so they're very savvy to it and um, and i think that more and more particularly with our graduate recruitment that we do here i um, spend quite a bit of time going out to um, local universities victoria university in particular and The more I talk to the students there, you know, they're very aware of, um, of you know, locking down the privacy settings on their Facebook, their Instagram, whatever else they're using. And they're aware that their like TikTok videos can be Googled, you know, and and are up there and are exposed. And and they're making smarter decisions around that. So uh, I think it's actually more of a challenge for some of us less, not less digital savvy, but non-digital natives, because it's been a transition for us. Whereas for those younger generations, it's just part of their life. And they're very savvy at knowing when to kind of lock things down if they can and if they can't talking openly about it and explaining it so saying yes there is that photo of me there or that video of me there getting drunk but you know I've learned from that and I've moved on from that experience they're much more capable of communicating that.
0: Has there been a I'm sure there has been a lot of discussion in the HR world around that kind of uh, privacy role you know do do employers have the the right to sort of you know demand people's to look you know or or when they're recruited to go through facebook or or tiktok or anything like that but um do we still sense a little bit of that that sense where say an older generation thinks well i want to find out everything about this and i'm going to go on there and you know i'm sure there are rules about that uh you know can you can you do that
1: I mean, if it's publicly available, you absolutely can. Um, And that's where I come back to, again, that idea of of, um, people being savvy and making sure that things that are for their private life and that they only want to share with friends and family are locked down and secured. Because if it's publicly available, there is nothing stopping an employer or HR person putting your name into Google and seeing what comes back. Um, but what we wouldn't have the right to do, and I would n- hope that no HR professional would be doing, is to you know contact a candidate and demand that they um, like reveal their uh, Facebook profile or yeah. you know unlock it so that we have access to it because yeah. that's complete invasion of privacy and that should never be yeah. something someone has to do to get a job.
0: Do you think, in light of this, that there is a generational divide? Because I'm thinking. You know, you could, you're looking at something or someone, you think, oh, I wonder who are that are you, you know, uh, that you're looking to work with or for, and you you head to their social media profiles. And, and some people are particularly uh, political in theirs, and you could, you know, you yeah. roll down and think, oh, I'm just not particular. You know, is that, is that, a, it tends to be sort of the older generation where they, you know, do they, is this still an assumption that people aren't looking or aren't paying attention? Where actually people are very savvy now to go in and actually do a little background checks on even pe- clients or, or customers.
1: Uh, I think um, I think there's an assumption now that, that people will do their research um, and I think that assumption has to be there and the thing I would say is that I don't actually think um, that idea of, of doing your research whether it's on a client a customer employee whatever that's not a new thing I just think that the digital yeah. tools that are available now to do it um, have enhanced the process so I think if you go back, um, you know, like 30, 40 years ago, if you were employing someone, you would, you know, you would, re- you would still have reference check. you would have found out if they'd worked somewhere where you had a contact that you could maybe talk to off the record, they would have done all of those things. It's just the tools that we have at our disposal have changed.
0: Yeah. Multi-generational workforces, you know, mm. there's a lot of benefits to them. Yeah. How, how do you get that working really well? Um,
1: I think it's really, first and foremost, um, it's not playing to the negatives. So I think looking at your workforce um, and having a look at the different age groups that are there and what their different strengths are going to be. Um, and that's a, that's just a starting point, because as we've already discussed, just because, you know, a generation is supposedly have, have these strengths or weaknesses, that doesn't mean that the individuals you're actually dealing with do and that that's their experience. So I think it's a good starting point to have a look at, OK, what are the groups of people I'm working with here and what might be their strengths? Um, But then actually taking it down to an individual level. Um, And I think as long as you have really open lines of communication um, and you're really enabling collaboration in your workforce, then you can find ways to work with all of the different generations, age groups, people at different points of their career. Um, Because at the end of the day, I do think that everybody wants the same thing out of their work life or very similar things, I don't think that there's this huge difference in what we're all looking for based on our generation and that we've been led to believe.
0: Yeah. You know, and we're always going on about, you know, the importance of diversity. um, And often one of the things that isn't, You know, it is talked about a little bit, but we forget about that kind of intergenerational diversity as well, that diversity of experience, you know, uh, how anything specific to support the different generations across workforce, again, I know it goes back to people's background, uh, and whatnot, but anything that you've picked up that that suits perhaps different groups.
1: I think um, just really acknowledging that different support might be required. So I, I really don't like the idea um, of, for example, if you're introducing new technology into your workplace that you're And people of a certain age are automatically going to struggle with it. That might be true in some cases, but I don't think that's a a blanket assumption that you can make. What you need to do to conquer that is actually look at what the different levels of support. So if you're implementing something like that or any new kind of initiative really, um, you're going to have to have different implementation models to Uh, facilitate the support that different groups are going to need Um, and that comes back to that diversity across lots of different levels and strains and not just age and generation but I think it's really important to assess okay if we're going to roll this out where are the groups of people that will embrace this really quickly and run with it where are the groups of people that will struggle with different aspects of it and how do we support that.
0: We've talked a lot about you know the technological side of things which seems uh, you know one of the most sort of foremost of the generational divides. Well, how about, there's two other things as well. I think, what about flexibility and expectations? Is there different notions around what people expect these days from, you know, I guess, workplace flexibility? And is that a generational thing or is that just something that's coming through the whole workforce? I think
1: it's something, in my experience anyway, that's coming through the whole workforce. I think we're the generational difference has come is in terms of people vocalizing those needs or those wants. and So I think our younger generations coming through are much quicker to kind of raise their hand and say, hey, this would work better for me. Is there any chance that we could have this working arrangement instead of, you know, a traditional nine to five? I think they're much quicker and much more confident to vocalize that. But when we have introduced different flexibility options, um, the the full span of our workforce are embracing it and are taking opportunities from it. It's not something that is only being embraced by the younger generation. So for me, the difference is in the ability to kind of raise your voice and say, this is what I would like, um, more so than the, the want or need for that flexibility.
0: I guess that goes then into that sense of expectation as well Uh, Mm. Is a difference in expectations that may not necessarily uh, be something that could be a possibility. I know I was talking to a a friend of mine in a law firm, uh, you know, a senior kind of partner who said, look, we've got a lot of the young, Uh, grads coming through and they do want to work from home but that's their expectation to be able to do that but actually they also need to be back in the office because that's where they're getting a lot of the kind of actual experience that intergenerational experience when they're standing around trying to sort something out and there's there's layers and levels of experience there that they might not get simply working from home and that ability to you know to talk to that
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point. And that's certainly something that we experienced here um, when lockdown happened, uh, because when we had the first lockdown, um, our some of our graduates had only been with the firm for about a week before we went into lockdown and then were immediately working from home. Um, and it was a massive um, lesson for us in terms of how much learning happens just by osmosis, just by hearing those conversations and being able to join in a conversation that's happening that you maybe didn't initiate. weren't originally part of and so for me I think the key is really with those uh, new employees coming through who might be looking for that flexibility and that want to work from home to have the conversation with them to be honest and to explain to them why it's important for them to be in the office certainly in that um, first couple of years Um, and it's not that they can't ever work from home and there might be flexibility within that but a lot of their time needs to be in the office for that learning and development and a great way to kind of bring in a generational mix there is to actually have some of Um, employers, uh, employees, sorry, who are further through their career, um, and maybe of a different generation, talk to them about their experience and how much their learning and development increased over the years because of the people that they interacted with. Um, And I think that that's a really nice way to kind of bring the generations together and have some of that um, cross-generational collaboration.
0: Yeah. Uh, One of the stereotypes we we always get is that the, the younger generations expect to arrive on the first day, you've gone and you've pick them out of the grad class there at Victoria and they're arriving and they want to be in charge. Uh, they're looking <laughs> at the top seat and they're going, yep, that's me. And I'm going to be there very quickly. What's the level of expectation? Is, is, it, is it, I mean, that's, that is a bit of a stereotype, perhaps a little bit of a misnomer, but is it simply that they are a little bit more driven that they can see very quickly that a rise in a career path more than perhaps, you know, two generations ago where you, you turned up and you worked your way up over many, 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 many years.
1: Yeah, I think it's a mix of things. So I think the drive definitely, um, I wouldn't want to say that they have more drive than maybe previous generations did, but I think the the wealth of information that's available to them, they're very clear on um, what it takes to get to a certain point in their career. And um, I also think that they are very open and I guess very aware of the fact that they're, probably their career is going to be with multiple organizations and maybe take a lot of different paths rather than starting with one company and knowing that they're gonna be there for 20 years. So I think their drive comes from wanting to make the most and take the most of the opportunities over a, a shorter period of time, because they they know they're open to the fact that they're probably gonna work in a different organization in five years.
0: Yeah. Um, in terms of that as well, that sense of expectation, uh, is there, is there more of a drive for them to younger generations? You know, they want to know the why. Why should I work for you? And that's been a big thing. I know a lot of the big execs in the in the Fortune five hundred companies in the last few years. You'll you'll know have all spoken about. You've got to know your why. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is is there a different way of explaining or positioning people into roles? Do they ask different questions than previous generations?
1: Yeah, I think um, from my experience, they're probably more more open about asking the questions and more open about the research that they're doing and again I think it comes back to I don't believe that anybody who joined the workforce you know 20-30 years ago didn't want to know the why they maybe were more interested in the you know where do I fit into the bigger picture how am I part of of the organization's goals it might have been a little bit more contained um, but again, I think that comes back to the fact that, you know, our digital natives coming through and, and those younger generations just have access to a wider picture of the world and more information. So their their idea of the why has expanded. And I think that's quite a natural thing as we, you know, as society develops and evolves, that their outlook on life is expanding. And so their why has become about a much bigger thing than just this one organization. They want to know what is the organization doing in the community? What is the organization doing globally? And, um, you know, and how they fit into that. So I I think it's just an expansion of what was already happening.
0: Yeah. We always seem so focused on young people coming into the workforce. You know, um, now in these uncertain times, um, what about looking towards bringing in an older generation, people who who have retrained, who have come from somewhere else, or indeed actually looking to bring in an entirely different untapped sector? I remember being at a at a building conference and. Um, uh, is it alexandria from from Girlboss, um, uh, alexia I can't remember fantastic um, organization great speaker she said look you you're you're missing out on an entire um, group of people and these were these were women who had had their children a little younger at, uh, coming in at 30 35 into the workforce and actually bringing them into the construction sector and and there were plenty of people who said actually look yeah we've we've brought um these women in and they're fantastic they can if you can get three kids out to school with lunches on time every day you know that you can you can do pretty much anything mm-hmm. so there's a lot of other people outside of the young folk to bring in isn't there
1: oh absolutely 100 percent. and I think you're really right with the current environment especially we are um, probably going to see a lot of people um retraining um slightly later in their careers than they maybe would have anticipated and um, and I think it's really important that we don't Forget about the opportunities there because these people are bringing with them that diversity of thought, that diversity of experience, and skills in kind of behavioural skills in the workplace um, that we maybe would take years to, to bring a fresh graduate up to speed with you know they have all of that ready inbuilt, um, and built and a huge amount of knowledge about how the world works in general how how business works in general um, and I think that's really important and definitely something that we should as, as HR professionals and employers should be tapping into um, and I think that's going to become really interesting to see how that impacts the, the workforce and um, sort of towards the end of this year and into next year you know, as we sort of go further through the pandemic and see how that all unfolds, it's going to bring a really interesting um, change to the workforce and a really positive one, I think.
0: Yes, I think it will. Um, Over all the years, uh, you've probably seen some missteps along the way um, in an intergenerational workplace relations and things. Anything that sticks out where you think, yeah, uh, you know, I I saw something, and I thought that's that's a mistake, or indeed saw something and didn't realise it was a mistake at the time?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure there's been hundreds <laughs> that I have witnessed over the years. I think um, for me, one that stands out with a, a, a former organization that I worked with, and I actually wasn't in a HR role at the time, um, but it was just the assumption that um, a, a younger person coming into the workforce, so quite a sort of fresh, very minimal experience, and um, almost being treated a little bit like they were like they were stupid essentially you know like that they couldn't grasp or understand the concepts because they'd never worked in a business before um, and all of that all that did was completely demotivate the individual and um, and yeah whereas actually if they'd been brought in and their sort of enthusiasm and that drive to learn had been embraced um, they could have developed really quickly and you know gone from strength to strength but unfortunately they were kind of treated as the, the person who doesn't know anything. And, you know, um, that kind of attitude of, well, I'm the manager. And so I have all the experience. So you need to listen to me and do as I say, and there was no room for conversation or collaboration. And I think we're seeing less of that, thankfully now, generally in the workforce. Um, but certainly that always stands out to me as an example where someone with huge potential and who could have made great um Impact on the business just was it was handled so badly that they just became a demotivated employee.
0: Yeah, look, it seems to me that you know across all of these conversations, it all boils down to that same thing that you know we mentioned at the start. We've been obsessed with for. Since we began thinking, and, th- and that's that concept of stereotypes you know we're uh, talking about the that, that danger of, of stereotyping you know uh, a, a Maori employee is someone who will take care of that side of things, um, that you have uh, an LGBT person, they will take care of that side of things. if you 've got a young person, we 'll get them to do all the tech uh, yeah. you know so again it 's just that sort of danger of putting people into these categories, or indeed then, if they do have skills in those areas, exploiting them in a way. Yeah. Is there a danger that, that they are continue to just be exploited because they are perceived as being a little younger, a little tech-savvy perhaps?
1: I think so, yeah, and I think that comes back to the communication side of things again. I think you have to keep having these conversations with your employees. So if you have a younger employee who is quite tech-savvy and you lean heavily on them for those tech solutions in your workplace, is that what they want is that why they joined the company is that why they're there is that still allowing them to develop in other areas have those conversations with them ensure that you're working with them so that yes skills that they have can be used for the organization but that they're not being pigeonholed or sidelined because of it um, and I think yeah that applies in any kind of situation where there's where there's diversity you know talk to the employee see what they want to do they might be really happy to support and to lead in an area but don't Assume that they are because of their you know generation their ethnicity their sexuality whatever it is have the conversation with them.
0: And of course it's never too late to upskill or reskill.
1: Absolutely not I think um, that's really really key and you know for me my sort of HR career came in a little bit later in life and it's been the best kind of decision and the best passion that I have followed so I'm a big supporter of that idea of it's never too late.
0: And indeed, I think you've um, just done the emerging HR professional accreditation.
1: Yes, I have. So that's been really exciting. And so HRNZ launched that recently, um, just earlier this year. Uh, so it's for early career professionals um, to kind of give that accreditation um, and kind of show that you are committed to a, a career and to developing in the HR space so that's been a really exciting experience for me and um, first of all just getting together all of the kind of information that I needed to for the application that really showed me and um, actually how much you know experience I have had over the past couple of years and the work that I've done um, and then to be accepted onto the um, you know as an Credited member in that space was really exciting and I'm really proud of it
0: great you look sort of a, a living example of everything we're talking about yeah. <laughs> sensational cusper um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going to be my going to be my word of the day um, i might hey, get a look, little so badge with
1: that printed on it and start wearing
0: it <laughs> that to, that is the most uh gen x thing i think i've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> millennials aren't going to print off a badge uh <laughs> No. Hey, look, um, there is, as we've discussed, there's, there's no shortage of sort of, um, of things to sidestep around when it comes to sort of a, intergenerational scenarios. But really, again, it's, it's just a kind of, you know, it's all up to the individuals. And um, one of the things I, I liked, um, I was just noting down some things earlier on, you know, mutual mentoring.
1: Yeah. That's I think a really great um, initiative that a lot of organizations have seen success with that cross-generational or mutual mentoring or upwards mentoring it's often referred to as well where you can um, pair two people of um, different generations or different um, you know stages of their career and rather than it being the more experienced person or the older person mentoring the younger person it's a much more collaborative approach to mentoring so you both identify um, things that you would like to develop or learn more about that the other person could assist with and it's very much a two-way street and I think that's a really great initiative and a really great key to making the most of a multi-generational workforce.
0: Yeah. Look, I've seen a great example of this actually in the aged care and education sector. Um, kindergartens with relationships uh to rest homes. And so the the kids will come along and, and you get this incredible mutual mentoring of, you know, the, the vibrancy of this of the young kids with all that kind of wonderful experience and untapped riches of the of the older folk. And essentially that's a kind of a metaphor for, you know, throwing everyone in together, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, that, that has worked really well and they've had some really positive outcomes from that. So, you know, if if that can happen um, in that kind of environment, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't take those lessons and apply them in a, in a
0: workspace. Marvellous. Anything else you'd like to add from your you tend to you tend a few years in the hr world around this (laughs) multi-generational workforce
1: Uh, i think just for me the real message is um is around not getting bogged down in those stereotypes like we we use them as humans for um for very valid reasons sometimes but i think we can run away with them um, and let them Kind of take us off in the wrong direction. So, um, my ad, main advice for anybody working in a multi generational work um, space would be, like, don't buy into to the negative aspects of the stereotypes. And where there are positive aspects, investigate them. Find out if it's true for your workforce, and if it is, how can you leverage that for the, you know, for the positives for your employees and also for the organisation.
0: Marvelous and probably great lessons there to take you up back into family and community situations as well, I would imagine. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a funny thing, you know, it was one of the great things. Here's a question. Um, I was going to finish it, but now I've got another question. <laughs> Do you, is some of this sort of intergenerational thing a result of, I suppose, a very Western model of a nuclear family, where you're not exposed to a lot of intergenerational family relationships or community relationships because of the nature of the way that we in this kind of modern eurocentric world live?
1: That's really perspective and I would say from my experience I, that's very valid and um, I think a kind of westernized um, societal structure. We don't have a lot of intergenerational and um, I guess not socializing isn't quite the right word, but we don't spend as much time with other generations, certainly not between um, you know, like your grandparents down to grandchildren. There isn't the same level of, um, of communication and relationship building as goes on in maybe some of the more um, Eastern philosophy-based cultures. So I think that's a really, really great um, insight and observation, and I think it could play a lot into part of the, the divide between generations.
0: Hmm. No, it's just one of those things I was, I was just thinking of, um, you know, there, that fact that you you, you do see, um, you know, a, a lot of cultures um, spending a lot of, you know, multi-generations in houses, you've got grandparents and great-grandparents and aunties and kids, and, and there is a lot of that sort of intergenerational mingling um, that you know, many other people sort of don't get advantage of it. Cause I, I mean, I grew up across the paddock from my grandparents, that ability to go and learn, you know, just to spend time and to see you actually, then you get a chance to see the kinds of skills that yeah. you might not otherwise see if you were, I suppose, simply in a workplace or you didn't see it until you were older.
1: So. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a real yeah. valid point. Having that exposure from early childhood and um, will make a huge difference to how you see the world.
0: Marvelous. What a great and, 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 Rapidly changing world, it is too. I'm looking forward to Generation Alpha coming through and just sorting it all out with their <laughs> um, yet to be developed technology.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Marvelous. What's next for you, Michelle?
1: So I think for me, um, I'm just going to keep, uh, keep doing what I'm doing, essentially, keep learning um, and definitely uh, keep trying to develop my, um, my skills and knowledge base in the HR space. And um, for me, my next focus is obviously wanting to achieve full chartered membership with HRNZ. So the choices that I'll be making around my career and development going forward will, will sort of be with a goal to, to taking that next step in my accreditation.
0: Well, all the very best with that, Michelle Donnelly, People and Performance Advisor at BDO Uh, in New Zealand. We've been talking about supporting the multi-generational workforce. Uh, This has been HR Chats with me, Toreida. As we said at the start, if there's anything else you want to hear us talking about, anyone you want to hear us talking to, feel free to get in touch with HRNZ. The link is on the website from me for now. That is all.